You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Midtown. Welcome to our sermon series, The Holy Spirit, Presence With Us. Join us as we explore the person and work of the Holy Spirit and how His presence in our lives empowers us to live a life of faith and witness. Discover how the Holy Spirit can transform us and guide us into a deeper relationship with Him. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 through 13. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 through 13 is where we're going to plant uh, today. And it says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. I'm not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Father, we pray that as we start uh, this new series, the last for two months, Holy Spirit, power in us, that you would empower us as a church. Holy Spirit, we need your supernatural encouragement. We need your supernatural presence. We beg you to come even now. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. As I said, we're starting a new series, picking up what we finished this spring. This spring, we looked at the Holy Spirit, about eight sermons on the theme of power with us. And now we're going to do a two-month series called Power in Us, Power in Us, about eight sermons looking at the person and the work of the Holy Spirit indwelling His children. And today's sermon in specific is uh, it's entitled The Holy Spirit and Fire Baptism. Spirit and Fire Baptism, which is centered on John the Baptist's words, he himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I want you to imagine a convoy is coming into a, a large city and this motorcade is starts out with motorcycles coming through and this policeman on motorcycles coming into the city. And following up the policeman, you see about 10 black on black, black everything uh, trucks, and it is filled with officials, military men and women, and other uh, intelligent uh, people who are on the inside. And then after these motorcades of black SUVs, you see another black car and it has a flag and inside it is the king. And people start scurrying off the road and they begin to celebrate because they see that the king has returned from a a long trip. They rush to the sides and they, they make a way for him to go through their city. Now I want to take you back to a dusty desert 2,000 years ago, 
And I want you to see this one person convoy, this one man uh, road clearing, clearer by the name of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is in the wilderness and he is bringing a message to the people. According to John chapter three, people are coming from everyone, everywhere. Some people are coming from the holy city, Jerusalem. Some people are coming from Judea and they are rushing out to the wilderness because there is a prophet who is speaking. Now for Israel, this would have been a big moment that a prophet was speaking because for 400 years, there was no prophetic word in Israel. And John the Baptist is a throwback prophet. He is a prophet who is like the prophets of old. He is coming with the mantle of Elijah on him. He is poor. He is, has a very strict diet. He is on a mission to pave the way for the king and his kingdom. John the Baptist came with two messages, and the first message is a message of repentance. His message of repentance is to uh, feel sorry uh, of one's actions or behaviors and to turn from those actions and behaviors uh, to another way. John is preaching in the desert to Israel, and he is telling them to repent. The second part of John's message, according to Matthew chapter 3, is an invitation. And it's an invitation that the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is coming. And in chapter 4, we see that John is going to let us know that the kingdom is here and near because the Messiah is here. One who is greater than him is here. And John is a prophet. His ministry is about to decrease so that the ministry of the Messiah would increase. But the question is, why is John preaching to Israel this message of repentance? Why this message? In the Old Testament, I think Jeremiah sums it up well. And if you know your Bible, you know in the Old Testament, Israel has a very up and down relationship uh, with the Lord. But for uh, uh, many years, they had went wayward and their hearts were cold towards the things of God, cold towards uh, keeping Torah law. And in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, we read these words, For my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. So we see two things. One, that the people of God had abandoned God. And I love how God is described here, a fountain of living water. Similar words that Jesus is going to use in the Gospel of John. For I am, I am the living water. But second, they are, have this image of them digging cisterns for themselves that are broken and that cannot hold water. They are trying to come up with their own righteousness, their own way to God and to appease God. And as a result, God is not pleased with them and he has not visited them through a prophet for over 400 years. And that's where we find ourselves in this dusty desert with this wild prophet who was totally sold out for God, calling people to to repentance, telling people that the kingdom of God is near. And he's baptizing people in the Jordan. And this is significant. This little detail that the people of God is being baptized in the Jordan is not something we should hurry past. In Joshua chapter 3, we see that Joshua 
and the children of Israel is getting ready to cross into the promised land and they have to go through the Jordan and God miraculously opens the Jordan and they walk through on dry land. The book of Matthew is a book about fulfillment. Matthew constantly, chapter after chapter, is showing his writers that Jesus Christ came to fulfill the Old Testament. He is the true and better Adam. He is the true and better Moses. He is the true and better Joshua. As Joshua led his people out of Egypt into the promised land, so is Jesus. And so has he come to lead his people out of the spiritual Egypt that they are in, the spiritual slothfulness that they are experiencing, the spiritual apathy that they are under, the weight of following religious leaders who were blind guides. And the new has come. A new promised land and a new baptism. And so here we see that John the Baptist is going to point this out And he, as he is baptizing people in the Jordan, is going to then point to a a new baptism that is to come. In verse 11, he's going to say, I baptize you with water for repentance. That's John's baptism. John's baptism was to prepare uh, God's people for the coming Messiah by having them baptize those who are a remnant of Israel, those whose hearts are are softened to this message of the kingdom, by having them baptized in the Jordan as a symbol of repentance, as a symbol of cleansing. But notice what he says, but there is one more powerful than I, and I'm not worthy to remove his sandals. That's a powerful statement by a, a holy man, a man who Jesus says that is the greatest of all men. He says, listen, the one who is coming, I'm not worthy to remove his sandals. Another translation, another synoptic gospel says, I'm not worthy to tie his sandals. Another translation says, I'm not worthy to take off his Jordans and put them on my feet. (laughs) Jamal's standard version. But then he points to Jesus' baptism. And he says, but he himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. There's two baptisms happening, the baptism of John and the baptism of Jesus. We even see this uh, twice in the, in the book of Acts, where the apostles ask, hey, have you been baptized into John the Baptist or have you been baptized into Jesus? And the question is, what is the, the difference between the two? John's baptism was a, a symbol of their repentance from sins and their readiness for the coming Messiahs, but, but Jesus's was different. One, Jesus' baptism here is not a baptism of water. It's not a baptism of water. In fact, Jesus doesn't, Jesus' ministry is not a ministry of baptism. After his death, resurrection, and ascension, his disciples would baptize people into his name, but Jesus did not come with the ministry of physical baptism. And we also need to note that this is not a, a double baptism. John is not saying that you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then later on there's going to be a baptism of fire. No, it's not a a double baptism. There's a proposition there that says with the Holy Spirit and fire and that with that comes before, that that proposition that comes before shows us that this is a, a unified work. A quite literal way to say this is that you will be baptized with, with Holy Spirit fire, with spirit fire. 
To be baptized in the Holy Spirit is to be immersed into the life of Christ through the Holy Spirit. And this happens at conversion when we uh, repent and place our faith and trust in Jesus. And we're able to do that by the grace of God, through faith, and as a result of the Holy Spirit regenerating us or, or making us new, giving us new life, we are then submerged into Christ's life. And at that moment, everything that is true about Jesus Christ becomes true about us. We are united to Christ. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are adopted into the family of God. God makes his home in us. But what does it mean to be baptized with fire? Fire in the Old Testament can represent a a number of things. We see fire in the Old Testament bringing light to the children of Israel as they exit Egypt and travel through the darkness of the wilderness. We know that fire naturally brings warmth. We also know that fire brings destruction, and sometimes people are judged by fire. But here, when John the Baptist talks about this immersion into Christ through the Holy Spirit and fire, he is speaking mainly of two things. And the first thing that he's speaking of is purification. The Holy Spirit, this third person of the Trinity, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, brings purification to those who are in Christ. First, positionally, and then second, progressively, sanctifying us, making us into the image of Christ. And this was prophesied in the old. This was a a mark of the coming Messiah's ministry. In Malachi chapter three, verse one through three, we read these words. The prophet prophesies to the people of God, see, I am going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. That the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant you delight in. See, he's coming, says the Lord of armies, for he will be like a refiner's fire and like launderer's bleach. He will be like a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. It's a ministry of of purification. The Holy Spirit saves us. He, He sets us apart for God's purposes and God's use. He commits to indwelling us and purifying us, progressively making us look more and more like Jesus through various means of grace. But second, this speaks of spiritual renewal. In Acts chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus, just before he ascends unto heaven, some of his last words is this, for John baptized you with water, picks up John the Baptist's message, But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. Then we read, just a few days later on the day of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit blows into a house where the disciples are meeting. And the Bible says it's like a a mighty rushing wind picking up this theme of the Spirit of the Lord as wind from Genesis 1-2 and throughout the Old Testament. And then it says, "And, and the Holy Spirit set on the disciples with tongues of fire. Fire was over their head. And then a a process of of spiritual fervency 
a process of spiritual life, a process of spiritual renewal begin to take place. In fact, Peter, upon preaching, gives the prophecy of Joel, which says, and it will be in the last day, says God, that, you, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. And that day, the disciples and all who gather were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and the kingdom of God manifested itself amongst the people of God, broke into this present evil age, and Jesus ascended into heaven where he is now seated on a right-hand side of God, ruling this kingdom. And all of those who were present, who experienced this baptism of the Holy Spirit, was met with joy and spiritual fervency. We read in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, the Holy Spirit ignited within them an energy to do the will of God, an energy to pray, an energy to, to read the Word of God, an energy to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. And this energy led them to take the gospel to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In essence, a baptism of the Holy Spirit in fire is an immersion into Christ, which purifies, regenerates, and renews towards spiritual joy. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a fire, and fire is an immersion into Christ. When one is baptized by in the Holy Spirit, he's baptized into Christ, and his baptiz- this baptism regenerates. It makes dead hearts alive. It renews, it purifies, and it brings spiritual joy and spiritual fervency. Now, what I want to look at as we talk about baptism in the Holy Spirit for the remainder of the sermon is I want to answer the question of of how do Christians live into this spirit fire baptism? How do Christians lean into it? How do Christians experience this, this ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in a way that brings renewal and spiritual joy? And the answer It's quite simple, but it's an answer that I believe that many of us neglect due to hurry, due to fear, guilt, and shame. And that is an answer of, and the answer is simply cultivating a lifestyle of repentance. Cultivating a lifestyle of repentance. Here in the text, we see that John the Baptist, as he is in the wilderness, he is calling people to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the first stage of repentance is awareness and acknowledgement of one's sin. An awareness and acknowledgement of one's sin that, that leads to a confession of sin. And I want to argue today that, that maybe the, the lack of spiritual fervency, the the lack of spiritual joy that you are experiencing, that that I experience from time to time is directly correlated to us neglecting an introspective, a gospel introspective life, a life where we pause and we cultivate hearts 
that are continuously coming before God with confession and repentance. Psalm 32, very powerful psalm. The psalmist writes, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. A beautiful song that is about the the power and the importance of, of confessing one's sin And notice what the psalmist says. Listen, he says, listen, when I had unrepentant, unconfessed sin, there was a a physical and physiological effect. Sin, it kills, it steals, it it destroys. It, it, It traps, it suffocates, it confuses. But the psalmist says, listen, when I confessed my sins to the Lord, When I chose not to conceal my iniquity, I experienced something. I experienced joy, and the joy was rooted in forgiveness because my sins are are covered. David prays a similar prayer in Psalm 51. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Do you see that? David, after sinning horribly before the Lord, comes before him, creating me a clean heart, renewing me a steadfast spirit, Do not banish your your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of salvation. Joy and spiritual fervency is directly correlated to a life of confession and repentance. Not simply a life of confession. You can confess and not repent. You can say all the right things. You can have a a kind of this full transparency, this this, this full uh, way of of, of just always confessing what you did wrong and never actually turn and head to the right direction. Spiritual fervency comes through confession and, and repentance. A lifestyle of repentance requires two things. First, it requires faith. In fact, faith and repentance are a two sides of the same coin. True repentance is done in faith, is done with vulnerability, is done trusting that you have a heavenly father who, who loves you. And the second thing that it requires really for many of us in this room is a mindset shift. Because when we hear confession and repentance, uh, for some of us, we think, oh, that's just something we, I do every now and then when I, when I slow down and when the spirit leads me to do. And, and my argument is the mindset shift that you need to have is that that is not uh, repentance and confession is not a, a, a luxury. It's a necessity. It's not the uh, uh, flat tire. It's a steering wheel. It's an important part of, of who we are. Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
It's a major part of our prayer life. But the second part of that mindset shift is we need to shift from saying confession and repentance as something that just brings us down and makes us feel guilty and condemned to something that we get to do, not as those who are victims of our sin nature, Satan and the world, but rather as those who are victorious through the finished work of Jesus. Jesus died on a cross for you and he died for your past, present and future sins. He died for the little white lies, which don't exist. They're just lies, as well as the things that if someone flashed uh, what you did on the screen, the sin that you committed, it will make you run out of here in absolute horror. He died for those sins so that you can come boldly to the throne of grace, knowing that you will receive grace in your time of need, knowing that you will be forgiven of your sins, knowing that your sins has been tossed in a sea of forgetfulness, that God is never to bring those back up to you in a way to harm you. That though your sins be as red as scarlet, he has made you white There needs to be a mindset shift that confession of sin is a necessity and confession of sin is helpful. My grandmother growing up used to say, yo, she did not say yo, that's a lie. She used to say, (laughs) I'm like, man, your grandmother was hip. (laughs) She, she, She used to say, Jesus, keep me near the cross. And until you really wrestle with your own sinfulness, your own heart, and as you grow in Christ and you see the complexity of your heart, the complexities of who you are, like Paul, that I am the chief of all sinners, you don't really understand that prayer. And some of us need a mindset shift, even as we think about penal substitution, as we think about the cross, we think about it, and for some reason it brings us shame, it brings us, us down. But listen, the cross and resurrection of, of Jesus should bring us joy. Because at the end of the day, it is a symbol and it, it happened that we might have life. It is a means of grace. It is a means by which God speaks to us and reminds us that we are unfathomably, unimaginably, fully and completely loved. And we are fully his. We have been adopted into his family, not by our own works and our own good deeds, but because of the finished work of his son, Jesus. And as a result, we have been united to Christ and everything that is true about Jesus is true about us on our worst days. God, when he looks at us, he sees the sacrifice of his son. This mindset shift needs to go from going to our prayer closet or Confessing our sin with a mindset, God, I messed up again. You're going to kill me too. Lord, I messed up. And I need to bring this to you. And I know that you love me. But I want to acknowledge this to you. Acknowledge to you what I already know. So that I can experience your grace. Bob Thone, in his book, The Gospel Center Life, has a, 
a beautiful chart that shows a believer or illustrates a, a believer's conversion experience and how as the believer walks with Jesus, uh, the finished work of Jesus, which is represented here by the cross, becomes bigger and bigger to the believer's life as they abide in Jesus. But as that finished work of cross becomes bigger, um, the believer grows with a deeper and deeper knowledge of God's holiness, that God is perfect and he is holy. But the believer also grows with a deeper and deeper knowledge of their own sinfulness, not that they are sinning more. No, we are progressively growing in the likeness of Jesus, but rather that we are more aware of our own sinfulness. And as we grow in Jesus, the finished work of Jesus becomes bigger. The grace of God becomes bigger. We realize more and more that we could not save ourselves. We realize more and more that what God is after is not good people, but gospel people. The second chart shows what happens when a Christian isn't abiding in Christ. A Christian isn't cultivating a relationship with Jesus. The cross, as that Christian continues to grow, actually becomes smaller. And a Christian experiences these things are, are kind of filled with religion, with moralism, with self-justification, with legalism, and with pride. And rather than the finished work of Jesus becoming larger in a believer's life, what becomes larger in their life is the sense of guilt, the sense of fear, the sense of shame, the sense of insecurity, the sense of, of despair. As they are not clinging to the finished work of Jesus, confession helps us stay near the cross. And it is not a luxury. It is a necessity. It is necessary for us to experience time of spiritual renewal. In fact, 1 John 1, 9 says it this way. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a, a promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to do this, this, this refining fire, this, this purification as we acknowledge our sin and face it head on and, and give it to the Lord. The Holy Spirit works in our heart and he begins to purify. He begins to sanctify but not just us confessing our sin to the Lord. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, confess your sins to one another. Someone says, oh, uh-oh. And pray for one another that you may be healed. Healing comes when we take our sin out of the dark, out of the closet, and we place it before the Lord and trust it. Gospel-saturated brothers and sisters who like Jesus will not bring condemnation, but will speak the truth and love to us, restoring us as Galatians chapter one says with Galatians chapter six with gentleness, but nonetheless calling us to, to repentance. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 19 says, listen, do not quench the spirit. Some of us, we are in a season of spiritual slothfulness, spiritual apathy, spiritual dryness. And the Holy Spirit is saying, listen, I, man, I want to 
I want to warm your chill. I want to ignite a spiritual fire in you. I want to restore unto you the joy of your salvation. I yearn, James chapter 4, jealously over you. I am zealous for you. I want you to be all that I have called you to be, but that requires a a poverty of spirit. That requires a a mourning. That requires a a sensitivity of, of our desperation and desperate need for Jesus. That requires us not holding on to a self righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. That requires us emptying ourselves and saying, like John the Baptist, I must decrease so that he. Would increase. Do you need your, your chill warm today? Do you need your heart ablaze? I want to challenge you this week to intentionally take time each day to confess your sins to the Lord, to be specific so that you can see the cross more clearly and, and get out of the illusion that you are a good person and can be a good person without Jesus. Confessing your own sin will make you a more gracious person. Confessing your own sin will make you a more merciful person. Confessing your own sin will lead you to a place where Jesus becomes more and more beautiful for you, especially when you confess it in a gospel-saturated way, a way that does not come before the throne of grace with guilt, shame, and condemnation, but a way that comes with a, a humility And a love for Jesus that says, Jesus, you died on the cross so that I might have this opportunity. Thank you for your shed blood. Thank you for purifying me. Thank you for your patience. Thank you that you will never leave nor forsake me. Thank you that nothing shall separate me from your love. Thank you that is what true is true of you is true of me. Thank you that you are my peace. Thank you that you are my joy. Thank you that you are my mind regulator. Thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you that you are the very breath that I breathe. My prayer for our church is that we will enter into a season of spiritual renewal, and spiritual renewal historically only happens in people who see and who know their need for Jesus. Are you desperate for Jesus? There may be some here today who you've never been baptized with spirit fire. I want to encourage you today to give your life to Jesus, to allow the Holy Spirit to immerse you into Christ to ignite a fire in your heart so that you can love God. You cannot follow the ways of God without the presence of the Holy Spirit and without confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In order to get to that place, you must recognize that God is holy, that he made you and that you and I, we are not holy, that we are sinners, that we sin not just in deed but in 
thought that we do not love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, or soul. And it is impossible for us to love the Lord in that way without his spirit fire baptism. And today I want to encourage you, like John the Baptist in the wilderness, to turn from your sins to trust in Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, and as your ultimate satisfaction. You cannot save yourself with good works. You cannot save yourself by being a good person. There is none who is righteous, no, not one. Romans chapter 3 says, We all fall short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Today, you can become new. You can become a new creation. You can become a new creature by confessing your sins with your mouth and believing in your heart that Christ Jesus rose from the dead. And I want to invite you to do that. After service, I would love to talk to you. We will have some uh, pastors and others in the connect room to explain to you exactly what that means and what it means to to walk with Jesus and to walk this life out. But second, there are some here today who is very religious, who you're very moral. You're a great rule follower and you're very, you're smart, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And it's perhaps that you've been coming to church your whole life. You're church, you know the Christianity, you know how to play the game, but you have never repented and turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus. Today, my message for you is the message of John the Baptist to the religious leaders in the wilderness who were who knew the law. The Pharisees knew the Torah plus their traditions. The Sadducees were Torah uh, uh, only. They were the uh, elite spiritual leaders of Israel. And they both had two things in common. One, they could keep the law. And two, they really disliked Jesus. And these were the spiritual leaders. They had head knowledge. They had power. They had influence. But the Bible says they were blind guides. They were whitewashed tombs. They were dead on the inside, though they looked alive on the outside. Listen, Jesus has more for you than this external fake righteousness. He wants to cleanse you from the inside out and do a deep work in you. And this goes past just an ascent to knowledge. This this is a, a whole person transformation that is rooted in God's love for you and Christ's work on your behalf. And today, God's invitation is for you to turn away from religiosity, away from going through the motion to the person and work of Jesus. John gives this vision of a person with an ax. Chapter 12, uh, chapter 3, verse 13, who is, who is standing at the root of a, of a tree, who's standing at, the, at a tree, and he has this ax at a tap root, and he's getting ready to, to strike it down. And to judge it, he says, this, this tree, you will be judged. You will be judged by fire. But God's invitation is for you to repent. Mama's religion doesn't save us. Knowing the Bible well doesn't save us. 
only having a personal relationship with Jesus save us. And Jesus is standing at the door today saying, I am ready to come in with my spirit and to baptize you, to emerge you in myself. And the question is, will you, will you repent and believe? One of my favorite Psalms in the Bible, Psalm 24. In Psalm 24, the psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in. For he founded it upon the waters and he established it upon the seas. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has not lifted his soul to idols. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, all ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. Today, someone needs to pray, Lord strong and mighty, would you come into my heart and be the King of glory? Will you dull my heart and my senses to the things of this world and the things of my flesh? And would you warm my chill towards Jesus? My prayer as we matriculate through this series on the Holy Spirit is that the Lord would give us spiritual renewal and that that renewal would be centered around the person and work of God's only son. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit Sojourn Church dot com slash midtown.